This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 318. Don't get Occam's razor burn using premium financing. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Are you tired of using complicated and expensive razors that leave your face irritated and unsatisfied? Do you want a simple and effective way to shave your beard and look sharp? Then you need Occam's Razor, the ultimate shaving tool. Occam's razor is not just a philosophical principle, it's also a revolutionary razor that cuts through the unnecessary complexity and confusion of other razors. Occam's razor is the simplest and best solution for your shaving needs. It follows the principle that the simplest explanation is usually the correct one, and the simplest explanation for why you should buy Occam's razor is this, it works. So don't wait any longer. Order Occam's Razor today and get ready to experience the simplicity and the difference of Occam's Razor. That's shaving made simple. Okay, so welcome to this week's episode, guys. Now, for those of you who are not aware, no, I'm not actually bringing on advertisements or products. Occam's Razor is simply a philosophical principle that is often used to guide scientific inquiry and reasoning. And I just wanted to put that commercial up there at the front to have a little fun. You know, Occam's razor was named after William of Occam, a 14th century English philosopher and theologian. The essence of Occam's razor is that when people are faced with lots of explanations for a phenomenon, people typically should choose the simplest one that accounts for all of the available evidence. So basically, in other words, folks should not multiply assumptions or entities beyond what's necessary. That's what it means when I say Occam's razor. It's making things more complex. The razor brings things down to absolute simplicity. Uh, It's also said this way, plurality should not be posited without necessity. Oh, I like that one. Or entities are not to be multiplied beyond necessity. So again, it's the idea of being simple. The simplest solution is usually the best. And Occam's razor is still widely used today in various fields of science, philosophy, logic. It's typically seen as a choice between competing theories, a way to kind of decide between which is the best option, the best model that can make similar predictions or even explain a phenomenon. So let's keep this concept in mind as I go through a strategy that's been, I think, really gaining popularity in the financial world today. Uh, Now, in the interest of building newer and sexier ways to lure you into buying life insurance, Insurance agents and, of course, marketing organizations of those insurance agents think it would be super great if you harness the extra buying power of a bank's money to make a policy purchase and the premiums of that policy even bigger. Now, I love the idea of putting in large premiums into dividend-paying cash value whole life insurance, the kind we talk about when I describe bank on yourself. Now, this idea looks something like this. When you take that just one step further, you can buy even more life insurance with even more cash value by doing a simple maneuver where you walk into a bank and ask for a loan. So if you borrow money from a bank and then use that money 
You can buy even bigger policies with even more cash value and up your savings power and get an even larger pot of money using other people's money, OPM. Sounds pretty great, right? This is called premium financing. Premium financing in the life insurance world requires that you, the policyholder, get a loan from a bank to pay the premiums on your policy. This strategy, typically it reduces your net cost for buying an extremely large life insurance policy, and wealthy Americans are using premium financing all across the country for this very purpose. Now, however, there are often times when unscrupulous insurance agents and marketing agencies are really using this core concept of premium financing to sell life insurance in a way that I believe is very dangerous, probably should be illegal. So this is not a new concept. Premium financing originated decades ago. It's a legitimate strategy. It does work in certain circumstances for a select group of wealthy people, and they used it as a way to buy life insurance kind of at a discount. And they use that typically to help pay a transfer or a state tax. But as Congress and several states started cutting back on the taxes levied upon our estate, and as the estate tax limit went sky high, currently it's in the tens of millions of dollars, the sales arm of the life insurance industry needed another way to keep selling these giant policies. So they started talking about them as a form of leverage, cash-focused life insurance purchases with leverage. This led to lots of wonderfully looking, fanciful presentations promising giant results for those smart enough to borrow lots of money from a bank and use that to fund their retirement like the Rockefellers. But of course, anytime there's money to be made, and believe me, guys, there's lots of money to be made here, there are huge risks when you take on borrowing money to buy more life insurance than you would normally be able to afford. And we really need to talk about those before someone really pushes you into a giant premium financing program. Now, I love it when clients bring me out-of-the-box strategies and ideas. I never want to close my mind to what might work. And typically, it just takes a matter of thoughtful time, energy, focused attention, logic, and a nice, trusty financial calculator to really find the the winners and the losers in the strategies that clients bring to me. And my job is hopefully to come back to them with thoughtful but honest review of what would work and what would not work. And candidly, there is lots of money to be made in the premium financing marketplace, a lot of money. And of course, certainly it would make sense for any business, including my own, to try to incorporate strategies that offer giant premiums if that's one way my business makes money. So. It's important for us to come out and just say that, that there's a great incentive for insurance agents and financial professionals to push this onto people, whether it's in your best interest or not. So really, we've tried to make premium financing work in a number of different scenarios, but most of the time it just doesn't work. That's not because there's never any situation where premium financing might work. It just means that in a lot of times, the premium financing is answering someone else's problem, not yours. That doesn't make it wrong or evil. It just means we're probably making the solution more complex than it needs to be. Go back to Occam's razor. What's the simplest solution to help you reach your goal? Now, sadly, we're finding ourselves in a situation where more and more insurance agents are trying to push giant premium financing cases than there are people who might actually fit or be eligible to buy these premium financing cases. There's actually more insurance agents who love the idea than there are policyholders who love the idea. 
premium financing life insurance candidates are very rare. You're not going to come across them all the time. And finding someone in this particular situation where you can really solve their problem with premium financing, it'll be a great business solution for them and a great payday for the insurance agent. So I'm certainly not knocking that, but there's just going to be very rare situations where this strategy makes actual mathematical sense. There's also a lot of work involved. And I might say that the person purchasing this giant policy is going to have to be very patient and be willing to put up with bank underwriting, life insurance underwriting, and a lot of back and forth paperwork before this gets done. However, for those that it is a good fit for, it can be a great solution. And so it just comes down to the details. So when I see upper middle class professionals with maybe a seven figure portfolio and a six figure income showing up, asking me about premium financing, I know something is you know, catching fire, a trend in the financial universe is catching fire, which is typically not a good thing when people who really shouldn't be getting these policies show up asking for them. So let's get into a basic premium financing example. Let's suppose that Sam, we'll call him Sam, figured out and calculated that he needed a $30 million death benefit for estate liquidation planning. He could just go out and get a permanent life insurance policy for $30 million of death benefit. What's the problem with that? Well, the premiums would be about $920,000 per year for the insurance if you want to buy a policy at his age for $30 million. Now, that's a lot of money. I don't care how rich you are. Sam is rightfully sort of sensitive about signing up for a giant premium like that. So Sam has substantial real estate and business assets. That's one of the big reasons why he needs this death benefit in the first place. So he could use some of his assets and his portfolio balance to acquire a bank loan to pay the premium for him. So here's the steps for premium financing. Sam would apply for a loan for the life insurance. That loan that he's seeking is going to basically pay that insurance premium for him. And Sam will agree to pay the interest due on the bank loan. So this will mean Sam's annual out-of-pocket expense for the first year will be more like $25,000, not $920,000. The $25,000, of course, being the loan interest he would have to pay to the bank. The bank is the one paying the premiums. Now, each year, Sam will increase his loan by another $920,000, asking the bank once again, will you please pay my premium for me? So his out-of-pocket cost servicing that loan balance will go up since his loan balance is increasing each year. But it's going to take a long time, many years, before his annual expense is going to be $920,000 of loan interest. In fact, Sam likely won't do this unless he planned to pay off the loan entirely prior to a point where the interest payment was anywhere close to the actual life insurance annual premium amount. So the good news is that he'll get a big loan with a relatively low borrowing cost. And generally, this is going to be tied to things like LIBOR or a prime rate plus a small spread for the bank. So this means out-of-pocket costs will be always a fraction of the annual premium, in this case, $920,000. For example, if the loan is about two and a quarter percent annual percentage rate, the first year out-of-pocket cost would be about 20,000 bucks. Of course, this will go up each year as that balance increases. He'll have to come up with more and more cash to service the loan, and also he'll have to figure out an exit strategy for this whole operation. The exit strategy just means there's going to be a point where he'll have to repay the bank's loan balance in full. Now, if everything works out perfectly, Sam, this wealthy individual, will pay off the loan, 
and he'll achieve a point with the life insurance policy where he no longer needs to pay premiums, and now he owns this whole life policy, death benefit, cash value, all of it's his that he acquired much more cheaply than if he had bought off the old policy the old-fashioned way. Now, as I'm saying this, you might be catching my drift that things might not work out as expected. This does happen pretty often, so let's talk about what happens when things don't go as planned. First of all, how exactly will Sam pay off that giant bank loan? It's going to be, you know, north of $10 million at that point. Now, while he's free to do whatever he wants with the cash as he wishes, most people use the cash value accumulated inside their life insurance to pay off the bank loan. Now, there's several important things to consider here. The bank makes Sam's first premium payment. The cash value in that life insurance policy is certainly going to be less than what the bank paid because there's a life insurance death benefit. There's costs. The bank might have thrown in $920,000. And of course, Sam is the one paying the bank some interest. But when you throw in $920,000 into any kind of life insurance policy for a $30 million death benefit, there's going to be some insurance costs. The bank doesn't like having negative equity like that. So the cash value is going to be less than $920,000 due to the insurance expense. So this means that the bank is going to require that Sam pledge some of his other assets as kind of the covering the difference. So they're going to require that Sam pledges assets for the difference between the loan amount, $920,000, and that first year's cash surrender value. That might only be $700,000, give or take. Now these assets, you know, more or less, are going to be whatever Sam chooses, but the bank's going to have to work with him to decide what collateral he can use. And he'll need to understand that the bank may not permit the full market value of the asset of the real estate. For example, if Sam pledges several hundred thousand dollars of stocks that he owns as collateral for this, this bank loan that they're doing, the bank might only recognize, let's say, 50% of the stock's market value to shield against you know, volatility in the stock market. So that's just year one. Each year, the difference between the outstanding loan balance and the cash surrender value on the insurance policy grows. So this means the bank is every year going to require more and more collateral. They're going to grab his real estate deals, his business equity, his stocks. Eventually, the cash surrender value will hopefully equal and exceed the value of the outstanding loan. This might be in year 10 or 12, let's say. At that point, the bank's going to release the assets that Sam has pledged for collateral. Finally, finally, he can have his stuff back. Now, can you think of any ways possibly that this might not work out perfectly? I mean, is it just me with all this collateral? Isn't it getting a, just a little bit nervous? I'm getting a little nervous just thinking about all that. So one of the issues is that premium financing a life insurance policy, one, the loan rate can change. So banks normally lock the rate on the loan for the first few years, two or three years or so. And over time, though, it begins to use what's called a floating rate. So that can mean it changes. And there's also some lending agreements that require borrowers to effectively reapply for the loan after a certain period, for example, 10 years. So in a falling interest rate world, this is likely not a big deal. It means the borrower is going to pay less interest to service that debt. And it's a good deal in, the, in a world where lower interest rates prevail. But a rising interest rate environment like we're in right now, and we've had the last few years, can make this whole operation a big problem. It means the borrower is paying more interest than he or she originally assumed. 
This could dramatically alter the benefit and all the benefits that come with financing the premiums versus just paying for a policy and not financing the premiums at all. Additionally, the accumulation feature on some cash value life insurance policies might produce less cash value than we originally assumed. So this could potentially alter what collateral is going to be required and that the borrower is going to have to come up with a cough up to the banker either each year or during their exit strategy. What's that mean in plain English? This is going to be especially true if we're not using whole life insurance for premium financing, but instead we're using something like index universal life or worse, variable universal life insurance. If the life insurance company offering the IUL, the index universal life policy, does not come through or they lower their their changes, their caps and spreads, all of this could increase the cost of financing the premiums and make you cough up more collateral along the way. Now, if the loan interest rate increases and the accumulation feature of the life insurance policy decreases, now we've got a downward spiral. There's a multiplying effect on just how much more expensive premium financing will become. And think about it. That's mostly going to happen in the environment we find ourselves in economically today. With interest rates rising, Stock indexes like the S&P 500 are typically going to be flat or down because companies are borrowing at higher interest rates. This means their profits go down, which means stock values go down, which means, yeah, your IUL is uh, your index universal life policy is not going to be just flying with high, high flying colors. So this means that when we use index universal life for premium financing, we're tying this whole project to something that's going to be under a tremendous amount of pressure. Next question I have is, what if Sam can't pay the life insurance premium? Remember how earlier I mentioned that the individual, my example, Sam, could choose to pay, simply pay the entire premium? I wanted to mention that that because it was very important. Premium financing should really only be a discussion and a topic when the prospective policy owner, Sam in this case, would have the ability to pay that premium out of pocket, the $920,000 that is, but he just chooses not to. Maybe he has other uses for that money and that cash flow. Again, premium financing is not a tool to allow people to buy just a giant policy they couldn't otherwise buy on their own. So this, honestly, it raises for me an interesting question. If someone had the money to pay $920,000 in life insurance premium to buy a $30 million death benefit, does he really need the insurance? I'm going to say the answer is yes and no. It depends on all the overall circumstances of that person's life, their business needs, their cash flow needs, exactly how they're buying or earning an income. So there are no doubt going to be situations where income and net worth makes it such that folks just absolutely do not need to own life insurance And as far as the death benefit is concerned. But there's also going to be circumstances where this sort of income and net worth is in desperate need of insurance. Even when you're that wealthy to get life insurance to avoid disastrous financial consequences, especially around your estate tax and more. This is really important to understand. I know there's probably a limited number of people who are looking for premium financing for this estate planning deal. But for those that do, they need to understand that there are some snakes in the grass when it comes to designing these policies incorrectly. So again, ultimately, if you borrow money to pay premiums and you have the ability to pay the premiums yourself, you're likely headed down a road of painful loss. Truth be told, the bank's underwriting process should uncover all of this and deny you if you're not a good fit for premium financing. That used to be more foolproof than it is today. 
the more and more banks are just letting you get the loan, you know, come hell or high water. And that ultimately puts you back in the spot of risk. You could end up losing a lot doing premium financing with a generous bank and a look the other way insurance company. So that's one big piece. What about this other problem? You know, what if Sam doesn't make it? If Sam dies while that bank loan is outstanding, the bank will first and foremost recover its loan with a large portion of the death benefit paid to the bank. The bank will then release Sam's pledged collateral and the remaining death benefit, whatever's left over, goes to Sam's beneficiary. So if the loan is already gone, maybe Sam has repaid the loan, then the bank is entirely out of the picture and Sam's death benefit goes straight to the family, to the beneficiary, the trust, whatever. Now, what if Sam decides to cancel this premium financing project and the policy along the way? Now, canceling a life insurance policy that's been premium financed has a lot of consequences. And if Sam is going to cancel this policy while there's a bank loan and the cash value does not yet equal the loan to the bank, the bank's going to take cash value, first of all, to pay off the, the, the portion of the loan that it can pay off. And then Sam's going to have to scratch together the difference. In some situations, this may come from all of the collateral that Sam set aside, his real estate, his business equity, his cash in the bank, whatever it was, now belongs to the bank. So let's assume that Sam pledged some commercial real estate to satisfy the bank's requirements. But he'd rather not lose this asset. So he's going to have to liquidate some stocks or pay off the bank loan with other means. Most banks are agreeable and are willing to be flexible if this is going to happen. They don't want a big kerfuffle. But oftentimes, if you're canceling this policy, something is going wrong in your financial life. So you may not have a bunch of highly appreciated real estate or stocks or more. In the event of canceling one of these policies, it could be that you end up in court with that bank. Not fun. Now, if Sam cancels his life insurance policy after the cash value is greater than the bank loan, but before he repays the bank loan, then the bank is going to receive the cash value at the time that he cancels his policy and walks away. They get their money first is the idea there. Sam then would receive whatever cash value was left. If Sam cancels the policy after he repays the bank loan, he'll receive that cash, 100% of the cash value, and he may have to pay a tax on it as well if there are gains. So there are a few benefits to this whole strategy. I don't want to paint this with too negative a brush here. It's a great way for people with significant assets to leverage their assets to buy large death benefits at a discount versus the traditional method of simply paying for premiums out of pocket, which is what you know most of our clients do, which is paying out of pocket. Sometimes, however, premium financing is the only approach to really get the death benefit large enough to cover your estate tax liability, whatever that might be. So while the individual, Sam in this case, might have tons of assets, cash flow, or more, he may just have other needs for that money and doesn't want to throw a bunch of money into a life insurance policy to support the large death benefit. So again, this is not a cash accumulation play. This is not a bank on yourself designed strategy here. The cash accumulation of some of these policies do allow you to use the money later in retirement, but in the short term, there is no real cash value available in these policies. While the bank has the loan against you, the bank essentially owns the cash value. They've used it as collateral, so you can't be using this for bank on yourself. So really, this only leaves the policy owner in a position where they're the ones paying out of pocket all the bank loan expenses due to the bank. The bank is the one that owns the cash and maybe portions of your real estate or stocks or whatever else. 
as we kind of look toward now the drawbacks of premium financing, premium financing does certainly serve a great service for folks in the right situation. But like I say, there's a couple of big pitfalls. So I don't recommend this, especially not for people new to the bank on yourself concept, unless they can really stomach a lot of the bank loans. In fact, it's very rare for anyone I've worked with to really be a good fit for premium financing. Again, more people come to me with this idea than are really eligible for it. The biggest risk for premium financing that I think is posed to people who apply for this is really that we're moving forward with a poorly executed plan with a lot of different risks that maybe the applicant, you in this case, would be maybe not considering. For example, we talked about policy cancellations while the loan is still larger than the cash value. That means the bank is going to come after your other stuff, your stocks or your real estate, whatnot. Also, what if loan interest rates rise? Or what if caps and spreads fall? This could make everything about your premium financing project spell disaster. In addition, anyone applying for a premium financing plan really must factor in how they're going to repay that loan to the bank, which often requires that you're going to have to come up with larger money or get a different bank loan to pay off the first bank. So you're going to have to wipe out your cash value in the policy or sell some of your real estate or more just to come up with that bank money when the loan comes due in 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. Again, loan rates on premium financing loans are never fixed. This means the interest rate could increase at a faster rate. It could force you to pay additional collateral or additional money or additional interest on your premium bank loans for a longer period of time. There are a couple of different stress tests that you could review when you work with someone before you sign up for one of these premium financing plans. Lastly, premium financing is not a cash value accumulation play. I mentioned this earlier, but premium financing is really for those who are looking for a permanent death benefit only. It's really not intended to be a big accumulator. It's not to help you build up a bunch of retirement wealth like we talk about with Bank on Yourself. There are certainly some marketing groups that have really claimed to have a specialized formula for leveraging assets and multiplying the growth inside the policy, but I don't recommend getting into that bag of snakes. So their presentations use a lot of sophisticated sounding finance terms that are extraordinarily complicated, but again, get back to Occam's razor. Usually the simplest solution is the best. Simply put, Assets are best purchased through financing are with those who have high, extremely high net worths and can quickly eliminate the bank loan that they use to acquire this life insurance policy. So using premium financing for cash-focused life insurance, I think can be disastrous. But I hope you can see now, premium financing is definitely not for the faint of heart. There are several components that can go sideways and alter your overall plan and benefits in the plan. At best, I'd say it's a risky bet for those who are looking to use leverage to buy life insurance at a discount by using the bank's money to do it. Ultimately, life insurance is intended as a safe option for wealth accumulation. It's supposed to be the safe asset, the asset allocation you can depend on, one that does not risk loss of principal or put you back in the banker's pocket. So when you get into premium financing in a world that puts you back into the banker's pocket, takes away control, takes away the safety and puts you back into risk, that can dramatically skew your risk and reward here. It can put you back in the wrong pocket. I mentioned earlier that there's a serious financial incentive for premium financing. Commissions? Oh yeah, there's big commissions. 
But let's talk about the incentives, first of all, for the bank. If you haven't already done so, take a moment and think about all the income, the bank's income, that's generated in this premium financing scenario. Again, the interest it collects is pure profit from the bank from you, the person who owns the policy. This is the OPM where the policyholder thinks he's orchestrated a great, great strategy to enrich himself with the bank's money. But the bank's income typically is way more than your cash value will be. And oftentimes it can be millions of dollars of loan interest over a 10-year period. The bank is collecting millions of your money, purely interest, collecting it over the 10-year period. That's not a bad deal for the bank because, again, they have the collateral. They know that if you die, they get paid back. If you live and don't pay off the loan, they have your collateral. This is not a bad deal for the bank. All the while, the bank is 100% collateralized. It's a non-negotiable stipulation for all of premium financing. So the bank is certainly making off like a bandit. What about the insurance agent? Like I mentioned, the commissions earned by the agent are mega. Let's talk about the commissions earned by a non-financed policy. We get into this in great detail in episode 36, where we literally show a table, a spreadsheet of commissions earned. But let's say in this example, the one that I just described, you might end up with several thousand dollars of commissions uh, building a policy that's not financed through premium financing. We're talking, you know, maybe five to fifteen thousand dollars, maybe even up to twenty or twenty-five thousand dollars. Now that's a, a great business to be in, but the financed version of the exact same strategy could have commissions triple that, quadruple those numbers. Unfortunately, some unscrupulous insurance agents might put themselves before you when it comes to helping them retire before you can. So I don't want to see that. I don't recommend that as a fiduciary and as a certified financial planner and as someone who strategizes using the bank on yourself strategy, we typically see our commissions cut, not increased, but cut by up to 70% designing a policy the bank on yourself way. And I'm comfortable with that. I think that's the right thing to do. It's what I would want to tell my family to do. And in fact, that's one of our core values in our business at Lake Growth Financial Services is to only treat you the way we'd want our family to be treated. You see, I understand that there's a big financial payoff for insurance agents who heavily push premium financing. And we've talked over this whole episode about different scenarios that I tried my best to make it make sense, but I just can't find very many except maybe for a very rare estate planning circumstance where this strategy would help. So I'm not going to attack the idea. I do see some examples where it would work. However, I think more often than not, the insurance agent is the one selling this and very few people are wanting to buy it or buy it of their own accord, let's say. I can't in good conscience make the recommendations for premium financing unless it really makes sense with the math. And I just don't see that happen as often as I'd like. So as we wrap up this episode, ask yourself, are you making things as simple as possible, but no simpler in your financial plan? Now, I know that most people listening to this maybe are not in the market to get a $30 million death benefit paying $920,000 a year, but take a couple zeros off that. Where are you putting your money if you can save $920 a month? Where are you putting your money? Is it going into a 401k where things are way too complex? where you're going to be taxed to high heaven in retirement, where you have essentially a fee on your money every year, or are you going back to Occam's razor? 
could you simply open a life insurance policy where we put the money in and let it grow? If you're looking at premium financing, could we just simply take the money, avoid the bank, avoid all the hoops of the loans and everything? What if we just took the money you were going to pay the bank, the interest payments on the bank, and instead put that into a non-financed policy, the same money you were going to throw to the bank, let's just throw that into a policy instead, let you own the policy, get the bank out of your policy and out of your business. Wouldn't that make more sense? Wouldn't that keep you in more control? Now, obviously, there's a place for premium financing. I think we've described it here. But don't be lured into premiums that look big on a piece of paper, but are putting you back into the banker's pocket. When shaving with Occam's razor, it's sharp enough you want to make sure that you, not the banker, are the one in control of that blade. So hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Get back to me and let me know what your thoughts are. You can reach out to me through our website, which uh, is notyouraverage.mn.co. Meet me there and you can have a conversation about this and other topics. That's notyouraverage.mn.co. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.